Welcome to the Wicked Wallflowers Club. I'm Jenny Nordpack, and this week we're joined by number one New York Times bestselling author, Colleen Hoover. We cover a whole bunch of different topics from her writing journey to her parenting advice to travel. We chat about why women's fiction written by authors who love and respect romance is amazing and how that applies to her latest release, Regretting You. Before we jump into the episode, we've got a few quick updates. The first is that our merchandise store is finally live on redbubble.com if you want to get your hands on Wicked Wallflowers shirts, stickers, and all kinds of other fun stuff. We've been loving seeing pictures of it out in the wild and can't wait to wear ours to the next meetup. The second update is that we've finally started a Patreon. We're hoping to help the podcast to keep growing and start doing stuff like transcripts for each episode to be more inclusive. So we appreciate any support you can give us to help us reach those goals. Speaking of support, this week's episode is sponsored by past Wicked Wallflowers guest, Jana McGregor. Jana writes some of my absolute favorite historicals and her latest is called Wild Wild Rake. Take one widowed heroine, add in a naughty virgin vicar, and what do you get? A happily ever after. Her first marriage was an epic fail. Forced into marriage with a cruel Marquis, Lady Avalon Warwick finds herself widowed and raising her son all by herself. She's content in her work, helping fallen women become businesswomen. Plus, she's been quite happy the past 10 years with no desire for a man, until Mr. Devon Ferris comes to town. Can he convince her to take another chance at happily ever after? Devon Ferris, charming vicar, reputed rake, and the brother of Avalon's son's guardian, is reluctantly sent to town to keep tabs on Avalon and her son. Devon wishes he didn't have to meddle in her affairs. He's not one to trod on a woman's independent nature and keen sense of convictions. But she'll have nothing to do with a vicar with a wild reputation, even though he's never given his heart and body to another. If only he could find a way to show Avalon who he really is on the inside, a good, true soul looking for its other half. But how can he prove that he wants to love and care for her until death do they part? Wild Wild Rake by Jana McGregor is now available in ebook, mass market, and audio. Are you ready to get wild? So to recap, we've got a virgin hero who pretends to be a rake, a heroine who's a widowed single mother, and typical Jana McGregor electric chemistry and romantic charm. So with no further ado, here is our interview with Colleen Hoover. And we are joined today by Colleen Hoover, who I'm lucky enough to catch in person and I'm staring at the Pacific Ocean out the window. So <laughs> it's not a bad spot to be doing an interview. It's very beautiful here. Thank you for having me. And you're on like the, the last stop of your tour, yeah, right? this is the last stop, L.A., are you exhausted? Not really. Um, it was a pretty quick tour. We did, I think this is our sixth state, and we got a little break between the first five and this one. So uh, I did a lot of TV watching the last three days. <laughs> nice. Not not bad to recover. Um, and the book that you're touring for is Regretting You. Yeah. And so I just told Colleen this, but I was like a little resistant to pick it up at first because I was like, it's not romance and I'm like a romance junkie. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to pick it up before this interview. And I picked it up and I read the entire book in one sitting. Like people talk about that as like a figure <laughs> of speech, but I like did not get up from the chair to even pee while I was reading this book. And it's amazing. It's like, I think there's people who write women's fiction and they don't really like or respect romance. And then there's people who legitimately love and know romance, but just have other stories they want to tell. Right. And that produces this like spectacular women's fiction. And this falls into that category where oh, it's wow, like, it still gives me everything that I want out of a romance, but it's something else. Like you get yeah, yeah. this growth from the characters and... So can you give us like the basic premise for regretting you? Yeah. And actually, um, I love that you said that because I'm a huge fan of romance. But at the same time, I wanted to tell a story from a mother and daughter perspective. And so I was like, how can I entwine those? And that's really where I got the idea for regretting you. It um, focuses on Morgan, who's the mother, and Clara, who's the daughter. And they kind of go through a family tragedy at the beginning of the book. And the book is just about how they, you know, kind of work through their relationship 
throughout the book and there is romance in it because each of them has like, you know, their own little story going on. But uh, I, I didn't want that to be the, you know, the focus of the book. I wanted it to remain on Morgan and Clara. Yeah. But it is like, if people want romance, you've got like dual romances. You've got like first love and then you've got yeah. like love after tragedy, maybe second chance. Like, it's, Right. It's weird because, you know, it's not really categorized as romance, but at the same time you get double the romance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, so at, Kristen was just listening to our most recent, what we're reading and my request at the end, we always request books, like what we're looking for next, give us recommendations. And I was like, I want something that's like love in other words that like gives me that first love and it's not yeah, quite yeah. romance and whatever. And this filled that hole perfectly. So it was like, I asked for it. And then the very next book I read was that. Oh, that's so amazing. It's, and that's like my favorite Christina Lauren and it, yeah. And it doesn't, it's not like the split timeline, but, and it's a hard book to talk about because I don't want to give things away. Right. Like, right. I always have that trouble with my books. I feel like my books are about the plot twist. And so it's very hard when people say, what are your books about? And I'm like, people. Yeah. <laughs> it's about people. Just read it. Yeah. It's almost one where I want to be like, don't read the synopsis right, because right. I knew like you've alluded to, there's a tragedy and whatever. And like, if I hadn't known that going in, it would have been kind of cool, but yeah, it's yeah. probably better that I, I did know. But um, yeah. So, and that's, you kind of defy the genre categorizations a fair bit. Like, yeah. is that like your readers will just follow you at this point. So you've got that latitude well, I've been in storytelling. Very, very lucky. I started out um, not having a clue what I was doing. When I wrote my first book, I think I categorized it as drama because I'd self published it. And then come to find out it was romance. I had never read a romance. I was like, what? I wrote a romance novel? <laughs> um, so I've just always, you know, written what I want to write and ignored like who the audience was going to be or what, how they were going to market it because that's not important to me. Like I just want to write and be interested in what I'm writing. And so I've been very lucky and then I've written YA, women's fiction in a, um, a thriller. And yeah, my readers just seem to support me and follow me in whatever I do. So it's my favorite part of this career that I'm not confined into, you know, one genre. Yeah, it's amazing. They're yeah. not expecting this like very fixed thing. You're right. just a storyteller and they like your voice and right. will follow you for that. So yeah, that's wonderful. What's next? So right now I'm working on a book. I don't have it titled yet, but it's a paranormal romance. Oh. Yeah, it's completely different. I've never done anything like it. So, but I say that with every book. Like I feel like when I finish a book, I'm like, okay, now I want to go in a completely different direction because, you know, I don't like to be bored myself. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun writing it and we will see how it turns out. Do we get to know like what kind of paranormal or are you not saying anything yeah, about it? Yeah, it's a ghost story. Oh, yeah. excellent. I feel like I haven't had enough ghost stories. Like I'm trying to think what I have, like Cressley has one of her Immortals After Dark has a ghost in it. But beyond that, I don't know that yeah. I've really read. Well, yeah, I don't know that I've ever read one because I'm, I, you know, I've just, as a reader, um, when I first started writing is when I first got into romance. So I've kind of stuck with contemporary and I thought maybe I should read a few paranormal romances before I write one. But then I thought that could be detrimental to my creative oh, process. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just going to write what I want to write first and then, and then jump in and read a bunch of them. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think there's different ways of doing it, right? Like you yeah. can read a ton and get a sense of what's out there and what yeah. fits, but then, yeah. But if I you think don't, that also kind of hinders me in a way. Yeah, if you don't have any expectations, then you're yeah. just free to let the story come out without being like, this is like whatever, right, or, right. you know, I can't do that because they've done that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, you get to just have your own story. Yeah, and I'm so far into it that I'm like, oh my gosh, if I read one and, and see that it's kind of like similar, I'll be like, well, I'm not going to finish this one. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Yeah, it throws you off. Um, you have a book box too yeah. that I can't think of the name of. The bookworm box. Yes. <laughs> you were close. <laughs> oh, it's so hard. <laughs> Why can't I think of this? Um, and it's for charity is uh -huh. how you do it. How did that come about and what has that been like as a project? So that actually, we started it in 2015 and you know we didn't know if it was going to take off. I think I called my older sister and was like, I want to so to make a subscription service. And I told her the idea. We had talked about it loosely the year before, but never put it into action. And then um, probably about two weeks later, we launched it. <laughs> it went really oh fast. Gosh. But the first, the first launch, we sold out in four minutes and raised like $12,000. And we were like, okay, that did really well. Let's do it again. And 
Um, it's just been going strong since. We cap it at a certain amount every month, but um, we've donated over a million dollars to various charities since That's amazing. 2015, yeah. How but do all you the books pick? are, yeah, see, so in the beginning, my sister and I kind of ran it and, and it was really, really difficult to write books and run this whole charity. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an entire business. So we ended up hiring a few people to take it over. And um, so I have nothing to do with it. I actually, hmm. I've received the boxes in the mail and, and I, that's the first time I see them. I don't like to know what's going in them. Oh, so cool. yeah, so I don't know really at this point how they choose, um, you know, what goes in the box and, but it's fun, you know, being on the I was more thinking what charity side of Like it. how do you, which causes do you Well, pay? we have um, a link on our website. And so anyone that's a 501c3, any charity can go on and request money. So we just go through those. I'm on the board of directors and probably about every three months we go through those and um, and choose which ones we can afford to donate to. And so if anyone out there has a charity that no, is in need of money, just go on our website at thebookwormbox.com and submit a request. And what, it's books, usually signed books that are in the box. Yeah, they're always signed books, signed by the author, and swag, book swag, different every month. Just like random fun bookish Mm -hmm. stuff. That's really cool. It's such a great idea. And then Book Bonanza is also yours, right? (laughs) You are a busy lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Book Bonanza, kind of, we piggybacked off the bookworm box, and we're like, okay, let's do a charity signing. And um, we're about to have our third one in August this year in Grapevine. It's in the Dallas area. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. We have about 200 authors and about 2,000 readers that come. And it's a two to three day event. And it's a lot of fun. It's so much fun. But all the proceeds from that go to different charities. That's really cool. Um, I think I remember the first one was in, was that the one in Denver? Uh And it ended up being at the same time as RWA. Yeah, we actually scheduled it and it wasn't at the same time. But then something happened with their schedule. And after we had already booked and announced, then they had to move theirs. But it worked out because I think it it helped because a lot of readers were, you know, be able to go to both. Mm-hmm. Well, and the authors, yeah, could yeah, kind of yeah. straddle both. There were a both. couple of authors that signed it both. Yeah, so that's cool. But has it grown in, like, did it start huge and it's just stayed the same size or has it yeah, been growing? Yeah, no, we, um, we've, tr- we don't want to get much bigger. Yeah. It's kind of overwhelming. So, um, it started really big. We were really excited and overwhelmed by the response of it. And um, we're excited that we've been able to do it and keep it going. But at you know, at the same time, like we rent out a hundred thousand square foot conference center and fill it. So there's just not if we can't get much bigger at this point. Yeah. That boggles the mind. Yeah. It's like San Diego Comic Con. It right, gets right. so big that you're like, like I won't go because it's terrifying. Yeah, and there's just yeah. so many people and it's hard when you've got a really good thing and like everybody wants to go. But if it gets any bigger, it just right, is right. like Yeah, and I've been to those, you know, I've been to the book con in New York and stuff and they're great, but at the same time it's very overwhelming. I'm like, I don't know that I can run an event of that magnitude. So I think we'll just stay at what we are now. Yeah. We like it. And it's still a little bit intimate despite the size of it. And yeah. I don't want to lose that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause once you split those readers off amongst all of those authors, right. it gets a lot more manageable. But yeah, if it's more than that, especially because book lovers are like, I think heavily in favor of introverts. So right. putting all the introverts <laughs> together in a space is just like too much tension. Yeah. It's very um, true. Yeah. So it, we talked about the fact that like you kind of defy genre conventions and haven't really been pigeonholed the way I would say most authors have like a thing that they write and then that becomes what's expected of them. And then with these projects, you just kind of do what you love. What do you attribute that to? Is it that like you've just never gotten into the spaces where like those expectations constrain you? Is it? You know, maybe so. I I think since the beginning, I was worried that would happen. Like I was worried I would be a one hit wonder or like kind of like everyone would expect this certain type of romance from me. So I changed it up with every book. Like I, I just made sure when I when I wrote the my third book, I think because the second one was part of my first trilogy. But when I wrote the third one, I was like, okay, I'm going to make it a little different. And then I wrote the fourth one and it was a new adult. And um, I think just because I've been steadily like switching it up between each release that it hasn't stuck me into one genre. Well, in the new adult, it's almost like like... If you had asked, people would have been like, that's not a thing. Right. You can't write this. There's not an audience for this. Right, and it's right. 
I don't know if you've consciously like ignored that or if it's that thing where you, like you just, no one told you those were rules. So you just didn't obey them. ignored it, but also had no clue what it was. And it's funny because if you look up New Adult on Wikipedia, my name is on there as one of the oh, founding people that wrote New Adult. And I'm like, I didn't even know what I was writing. So it just, you know, it just kind of was timing. Hmm. Um, it wasn't an intentional, intentional thing on my part at all. I, you know, I still am not even quite sure what New Adult is. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. If you just disregard the roles and tell that authentic story and yeah. your readers find you, then it works out. But do you feel any more pressure now that you have such a dedicated readership? Or absolutely. Yeah. I think with my first book, that was probably the easiest release because I thought, oh, no one's gonna read this. I don't really care. Um, now it's just with every book, I feel like there's more and more pressure. But you know. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. I love that that there is an audience for what I write now, and it and it's kind of pushed me to to you know be better. Mm-hmm. And so I try to top every the last book that I wrote. I don't know that it, that it happens, but um, I don't know. I just I like where I am right now. I like um, you know that there is pressure. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean it. It is clearly working. Like I'm in a couple of big moms Facebook groups and every now and again, someone asks for book recs. And these are usually people who read maybe a book a year, like Mm -hmm. a couple of books a year. And I was scrolling through a thread just a couple of nights ago and your name pops up constantly. And like that, it's doing something for people and filling that hole and like it's something special. So it's nice yeah. if people are only reading a book a year, it's yours that they're going to. Yeah, that's to. crazy. It's very surreal, but I'm also very grateful. <laughs> Do you deal with, like you have to deal with the flip side of that where like people are getting annoyed because it's not what they want from you or like. You know, I don't, I really? don't really get that a lot. And maybe I just avoid certain places on the internet where that's discussed. I don't know. But, um, you know, I have a Facebook group where a lot of readers you know, well, it's Colleen Hoover's cohort. So it's my reader group. And um, that's basically where I go. And it's all positive in there. And everyone's so nice. And we have one rule and it's don't be a dick. And everyone follows it. And so I kind of experience the positive side of social media. I just stay away from anywhere where, you know, if someone's not happy with what I'm writing, I just, I stay away from that. That's fine. You just (laughs) don't need to hear about it. Just wait a couple books. Something will come around that you might like. I always say, like, I have a favorite band. That's like the dream. That's where we all want to be. Yeah. Well, I have a favorite band, and and not every song they write, I love. And I think it's the same way with authors. You can have a favorite author, but you're not going to, you know, connect with or like every book that they put out. So, Mm. Yeah. Are there, like, are you reading anymore now? Like, do you have favorites that you go to that you've picked up now that you're, like, more involved in the scene? Um. So my favorite romance author is Tiffany DeBartolo. She wrote How to Kill a Rock Star and A God-Shaped Hole. I have not read those. You've got to. Now I'm excited. She's such an amazing author um, and such an amazing human. Just follow her on Instagram. Like her, I just love watching her as a person. But um, yeah, her books are my absolute favorite. And she's got another one coming out later this year called Sorrow. Hmm. You're going to love them. I'm so excited you haven't read them. It's so fun when people say, like, my absolute favorite is this. And you're like, new. (laughs) Give it to me. That's awesome. Um, You're from, like, a small-ish Texas town, yes? No-ish. It's small. small. (laughs) Do you still live? Yeah, I actually live where I grew up, um, on the same land where I grew up. We, um, my graduating class in high school, there were 13 of us. Wow. Yeah, so it's tiny. My kids go to school there, so their classes are all very tiny too. My oldest just graduated. I think there were probably 14 kids in his class. What has been, like, I'm, I grew up in Texas and like my stepdad's from a tiny oh, Texas cool. town. And like, I know small town Texas yeah. and the way gossip spreads and like everybody knows everybody's business. Oh, yeah. What was the reaction when you started writing and have like had the success with writing that you've had? You know, it's been insanely the same. You know, like I think that because I grew up there and everyone knows me, everyone's like, oh, this is so weird, you know, but it's, you know, life is still the same there. Nobody cares. And I love that. Mm. They're, they're very happy for me and, you know, very supportive. But at the same time, it's like, I, they're used to me going to Walmart in my pajamas. So, you know, like nothing has changed. It's insane. Hmm. 
Well, and like your kids, it's just like that's your job. And yeah, yeah, they don't, absolutely. Nobody thinks they're not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, it's just life is the same for them. And I love that, you know, like I think the biggest thing I was worried about was that it would be an adjustment for them, but mm-hmm. it hasn't been at all. Um, I think the only time they were actually impressed by what I do is a few weeks ago, Rick Riordan shared that he had read Verity. And that's when they got impressed because they love him. <laughs> they love his books. And so they were like, oh, wow, he read one of your books. But they don't read my books. I feel like I hear that a fair bit. It's like it takes someone else to validate yeah, yeah. your parents' success. and Which is fine. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it keeps it real, right? Yeah. They can't exactly be hero-worshipping you all the right. time. because they're teenagers now. Mm-hmm. And I think— when I came in, you were saying teenagers are like your favorite age and yeah. that it's fun. And that's it gives me hope because I feel like most people are like, well, wait till she's a teenager. She's going to hate you. And Well, I have all boys, so okay. it may be a different story for me. I don't know. Like I loved my mom when I was a teenager. We were best friends. Mm-hmm. We still are. Um, you know, I think it just depends on <laughs> luck of the draw, the personality your kids have. But, um, you know, I've just been very lucky. I think the hardest years for me was— for, from zero to the age of five. Like I had three kids back to back. So I had three toddlers at the same time. And it was, and I was working and going to school full time. And um, it was a challenge, you know, but uh, yeah, I just feel like if you put your energy into those first five years and let them know who's boss and the difference between right and wrong that, you know, by the time they're not little kids anymore, they know and they respect you and you can be friends with them and it's fun. Yeah, well, Hopefully I'm doing it right. We'll (laughs) see in a few years. Um, This is a jump, but when I was looking at your tour dates, I think like towards the end of last year, you were over in Europe touring, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you had like some pretty cool places on the list. Like Prague um, and... We went to Prague and Germany and um, I had to leave early, but um, I'm going to Budapest and Lisbon this year. And... um, possibly France. Do you so, have enough time built in to like sightsee a little bit when you go to those places? I used to not. This past tour was the first one where I was like, can I have a day off? Oh. <laughs> you know, because used to, it was like I would leave and the kids were little and, um, you know, I really just wanted to get back. And so it would be back-to-back signings every day and I never got to tour, you know, and sightsee. But um, this time they're all a little older. They could drive themselves to school. So I'm like, me and daddy are staying extra. So y'all have fun. <laughs> Did you have favorite anything that you saw like on this past trip? Um, We actually have been to Germany several times, but this was the first time we had time off in Germany. And we we just love it there. We love the food. We love the people. Um, We were in Munich and got to see a little bit of sights there. And Prague was just amazing. It's yeah. been so high on my list for the longest time. And I just haven't quite, I've been like pinging around everywhere around there yeah, and haven't made it there It's such a yet. great city. So, it was fun. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of aspiring writers, our, our listeners. Um, what would your advice for them be like just starting now? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It, that's tough. Like, I feel like I'm still an aspiring writer in some ways, so I always feel weird giving <laughs> advice. <laughs> but I think the thing that has worked for me the most is I ignore everything that's trending, all everything that's, you know, everyone's saying they want to read or, you know, what people are saying you should write. I've always been clueless to that, and I think it's helped me that I've always just written what I feel like writing. Because if I'm proud of what I've written, then what happens after that, I think, is just icing on the cake. And I won't be, you know, disappointed if if what I'm hoping happens doesn't happen. Because, you know, if you write the story you want to write and you write it from the heart, you're going to be proud when you write the end, no matter what happens after that. That is such different advice from what I feel like is out there predominantly right now. Like, yeah. especially with indie publishing and writing to trend and like watch what the market is doing and you need to be yeah. writing that. So yeah, I, I think it's important to hear other people saying this. Yeah. And the thing is, I may be clueless. I may not know what I'm talking about, but it's worked for me. So <laughs> just being clueless and following my heart and, and you know, what keeps me interested is, is really all that's important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's... It's good to hear. Like it mm-hmm. needs to be said that that isn't the only piece of it that matters. And yeah, at the end of the day, you still have to like be proud of what you've written. And right. It needs to be a story right. that. Well, and I've, I've just you. seen a lot of people and friends of mine 
come into the industry, you know, hoping to make it a job, make it a full-time career, make money off of it. And if you're coming into it with that attitude, you're going to be disappointed because it's very hard. It's very, very hard to um, make a living. I feel like I had good timing and good luck, honestly. Yeah. And not everyone has gets the good luck. And um, so it's just sad when people become jaded over something that they love and that's a passion. And if you just keep that passion front and center, then I feel like the outcome will be better. Yeah. It's hard to do and it's hard to it give that hard. advice it when is, you can see yeah. people doing it. But yeah, it's different. But I have a friend who does this gorgeous artwork and he's just decided like he wants to start selling this artwork and has this dream that like his artwork is going to be able to support him. And was asking for, I don't know why, but asking my advice on how to go about doing this <laughs> because it has nothing to do with selling books. And that was, I was trying to gently be like, you're not going to feel the same about your art right, once right. you're selling it. And like, I can give you some ideas of things that like, I think might make your art more marketable or sell to more people, but that means you're going to be doing it for that reason. Yeah, it becomes a job. And it's not like pure anymore. And if that means you get to do your art all day long, maybe it's worth it. But I think yeah. it's important to understand that you're going to be making those sacrifices and yeah. it's this slippery slope to where like that thing that brings you joy doesn't anymore. Yeah. That it's a chore and an yeah. obligation. And I've seen that happen so much and it's definitely, you know, something you need to keep in mind. Do you want this to be a business or do you want it to be an art? Yeah. Well, and that it's okay to... It's either one is okay. Like if you want it to be exactly, a business, that's fine, yeah. but you might have to make some of these choices yeah. that we're talking about. You might have to write to trend. You might have to like write differently to break in. Like it's a different market than it was when right. you first started, but it's okay to also just love writing and to take the time to do that and have it not be your career necessarily. Yeah. Like it's hard to find time to do that, but like- I've always, I've always been very strange in that- um I'm not a big dreamer. I have, I'm have. i a very realistic person. I don't want to say I'm a pessimist, but I always kind of um, set my standards low for myself so that if something were to happen, I wouldn't be disappointed. And so for me, before when I wrote my first book, my sister, I remember, made a vision board. She She's really big into vision boards and does one every New Year's. And I remember her saying, oh, you're going to get picked up by a publisher and put it on the vision board. And I'm like, take that off because we're all going to be disappointed when it doesn't happen. And then it happened and she rubs it in my face all the time. But it's like, I've just always been one who's like, okay, my goal is to finish this book. Let's just hope that happens. And then anything that happens beyond that. And that's a hard outlook to have, but... Um, you're my husband and it makes me crazy because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll want to like be excited about stuff. And he was like, it might not happen. And I'm like, right, yeah, but that's it's me. Might. That's me. Like, <laughs> let me have it. <laughs> yeah. So just low expectations and then you can't be yep. disappointed. So if I asked like, do you have any, like what would be this like wild dream that you want? The answer is just like, you want to write the next book? I don't, I, just, and- <laughs> I don't have dreams. That's so sad. It's such a sad thing to say. And it's so like my sister and I are complete polar opposites because she lives <laughs> off that. But um, no, I don't. I'm just like, okay, let me just at least finish one more book. When in reality, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it, it's a lifelong thing. But um, still with every book, I'm like, okay, I hope someone reads it. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's clearly some magic to that, but I think it's hard <laughs> to do. Like, I can't do that and just be like, no, I'm not going to set any expectations. <laughs> I'm like, I might tell people that's what I'm doing, but I'm really like, this is what I want to yeah. happen. So oh, I hate expectations. Hate them. Oh, I think yours is a much healthier way of living. Yeah, but you it works probably for me. You better gotta like have that or not. Like, I don't think it can be learned. It's yeah. I my husband's a monster in that way. <laughs> when he's that, he can like put caramel chocolate in his mouth and let it melt before, instead of like biting into it. I'm like, you have too much self control. It's too much. Like, he's not on social media. He doesn't. Oh, like, that's crazy. It's just yeah. like not. I, I feel like I can't, like, I like social media. Sometimes I have to take breaks from it. But at the same time, I feel like I would not have this career if it weren't for social media. Yeah. So it kind of comes with the territory. Yeah, that's exactly what I try. And when I do, I have so many amazing internet friendships that have come yeah. out of oh it. Oh my gosh, where, yeah. Some of my best friends I met online. Yeah, and it's hard to explain that, I yeah. think, to him where he's not online. And it's like, these are people, <laughs> you've never met these people. And I'm like, yeah, but we're friends. Like, he still views them as characters from Farmville, probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't even know what his internet reference is. He's some kind of anomaly. He never had a MySpace. He like- Oh, wow. Has zero social. And actually, yeah. I think he has an Instagram, but he looks at, 
he's never posted anything. That's my husband. Like he has all these things, but he's never posted. And, but he'll send me stuff that he reads on, on mm. the internet, you know, like he's a big, um, I wouldn't say stalker. What do you call it? When people just like see what everyone else lurker? is doing. Lurker. Lurker. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's a big lurker. <laughs> I love it, but he doesn't ever post. Mm. Yeah. We, we go camping a lot. So he follows people who like also do oh, that wow. stuff. And I then, think we're married to the same man. That's all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's in these RV camping groups. <laughs> oh yeah. That's what we, yeah. yeah that's funny. Yeah. We have an airstream and we we like go go the airstream places. So he yeah, sends me like, let's go here yeah, or like exactly. look what these people are doing. But but is not like he doesn't interact in any way and mm-hmm. that is very strange. But yeah. I don't know, maybe it's a man thing. It's not yeah, I don't know. They're unicorns. They should do some kind of study on, you know, what personalities are are big online and which ones aren't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But it I, it gives you that connection, especially like for me, early motherhood where I was like not, I didn't have any friends with kids and I wasn't really getting out much and I didn't have help with the kids and I had these people to connect with and could be like, I'm having a tough day. And suddenly there was this wave of support. Yeah, so yeah. that's the good side of social media. That's and true. If you can. I, I don't think that um, I got on Facebook until 2007, which is really kind of when it came mm-hmm. out, but my kids... I don't know. I didn't really have social media when they were real little. And so I I always wonder, like, I think it would have been a completely different experience. Yeah. Um, in a positive way. If, yeah. If I'd had yeah. Them. yeah. Well, I would have more pictures of them, you know, because <laughs> yes. I don't know where all the pictures are that I took on digital cameras way back in the day. But um, I don't feel like I have an adequate supply of pictures of them until from the age of like seven on. Mm. Uh, we take like thousands of pictures and I don't know what we're ever going to do with them. They just like live on my phone and are there. One day when they're older, if they want to revisit what they did every single day of their lives, I'm sure they can like find a picture from every day to see what they were doing. But beyond that, like they're just... I I had printed last year some mixed tiles, which are little squares Mm. that you can stick on your wall and my whole hallway is covered in them. And I love it. I'll, like, I'll go cool. down the hallway and just stare at all the pictures of them, and, like you know, as they grew. And um, yeah, I do that a lot with with pictures of them. Yeah, just like those happy memories that mm-hmm. you get to see. I probably need to do that more. But then it's like I've got thousands to pick from. How do you yeah. decide which ones to do? Uh, yeah, it's tough. Um, I'm. I never remember. We do rapid fire questions at the end, and I never. <laughs> ever remember to pull them up before I start the interview. So well, now your, your you're going to have to bear with me for a second while I... Do, do, do. And like, I've done them 116 times now. I should know. <laughs> you should print them out and put them in your phone case on the back. I was If you if you could remember, you think you've got them, and then I, well, and it's hard too because Sarah and I often alternate. So like, I know my questions, and then I'm like, oh, what came after that? So, all right, I can cut all of that out. Um, we are going to do some like random questions just to get to know you a little bit better. Um, what is the strangest or most interesting object in your workspace? Um, probably an abundance of alpacas. Oh, all different kinds. Alpaca alpacas shoes, specifically alpaca versus things. like llamas or it's definitely alpacas. I don't know, they're softer. Mm. <laughs> Have you been to like Peru or any of the countries where they're I've never met an alpaca in person. I'm mm. just obsessed with them. That's so interesting. Yeah, I really want like alpacas because we have a lot of land and we could do that, but we travel so much mm. that my husband and my boss are like, Nope, you're not getting an animal. That's <laughs> so much extra responsibility. Yeah. Isn't it um Jennifer, why am I blanking? Armantrout. Yeah, yeah Jennifer Armantrout. alpacas. I need Did to go really? visit her. Oh my gosh. Because yeah. I think when I talked to her, she's like llama or alpaca obsessed, but I think she like hadn't really interacted with them when I talked to her too. And I was like, I don't understand. Maybe she, I'm making she that up. Has but she has now. them she's now. Like got an official That's amazing. Farm. Farm. Wow. That's awesome. You guys can't hear Kristen in the background, but she's saying, <laughs> she's saying that Jennifer now has a farm. She has moved to a farm with alpacas and is living the dream. So yeah, I need to like maybe we give hey, you a couple Jennifer, years. And that's you where got you are. a spare bedroom. <laughs> I need to come pet your animals. I'm pretty sure she would understand. 
Do you work in like an office or yes, we like actually a dedicated? Just, um, built an office about a mile from my house. Oh, I have two employees that are full time, so um, we I have a place to go now. It's so nice. Like I get up at seven thirty eight every morning and drive to work and come home about five or six at night, and and then actually you know kind of can watch TV and space out. That's so nice. It's like so there's nice, yeah. demarcation to yeah, before, this is work like, and this is not work. For the past six or seven years, I've just, it's constant work mode. Because even, you know, when my office was at home, I just always felt guilty for doing anything other than working. Yeah. So it's been really nice getting a sort of a life back. <laughs> that more fixed, like work yeah. hours and not work hours. That's really cool. How did, like it, you said you built it. So did you actually like design it from scratch? Yeah, but it's, it's, like a tin building. Okay. Like um it's it's got bedrooms in it and a kitchen, but it was so simple. Like mm-hmm. I was I just told him I was like, just make me a little rectangle house. <laughs> you didn't get fancy with no. it. No. That seems in line with your character from what I'm picking <laughs> up on. It's like, no, no expectations, just do it. Um, is there anything that you irrationally hate? Pizza. You hate pizza? I, I hate pizza. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like all pizza, thin crust, thick crust. I mean, all pizza? every now and then I'll eat it. Me and Kristen had a pizza moment last week. I just, my mom used to work at Peddler's Pizza growing up and we ate a lot of pizza and I just really got burned out on it by the time I was a teenager. And I have three boys and all they want to oh, eat yeah, is pizza. Then. And so I'm just over it. <laughs> That's fair. But also, I would probably starve. <laughs> I do make a homemade pizza that I love. Like I'll make homemade pan pizza and it's, I can tolerate that. That's like real food. so different from yeah. fast food pizza. Yeah. Um, who is the best villain ever? Oh, that's such a good one. Taron Fisher, the human. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. He's the actor who's no, she, in. She's my friend. <laughs> oh, you're, this is a real person and you're saying that they're the villain. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the this answer. <laughs> And she writes too. She's the one yeah, you she's an referenced. Um, that's great. I can't wait for her to hear that. Um, <laughs> that's a compliment to her. I should cut that. Oh, Taryn's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, who or what scares you, but in like a minutia way, not like horrible apocalyptic things. Okay. So I'm terrified of aliens. Like really? the idea, like I absolutely believe there's life on other planets and yeah. I do not want them to come get me because I like my life. I don't want to be probed. <laughs> like I just, that terrifies me. <laughs> I must have missed the part where the probing is a bad thing. <laughs> you want to be probed? Reading, it's a good time. <laughs> well, okay. So I watched a movie when I was younger and it didn't look fun. <laughs> <laughs> We've not been interacting with the same kind of probing stories. Um, what is the last book that kept you up reading? Um, Never Have I Ever by Jocelyn Jackson. Hmm. You keep listing things that I haven't even heard of. Yeah, so that one was recommended by my villain friend. And um, I read it, well, I did the audio book actually on the drive home from Houston. And um, it was so good. That's awesome. I've got lots of things to go look up from this interview. (laughs) Um, If I was going to use an object to summon you with a spell, what would it be? Diet Pepsi. Real, Is that are you, an object? Yes, that counts. Yeah. Are you like an addict? Like um, have to I'm have not an addict. I'm a connoisseur. I mm. could taste it. Blind taste test me. I could tell you what fast food restaurant it came from. I could tell you if it's out of date. It's a really terrible obsession. Yeah. There's nothing good that comes from a Diet Pepsi obsession. I, I'm like probably addicted to Coke, not the drug, the, the beverage, <laughs> to be clear. And... I'm like, I have preferences between like, if it's a fountain or a bottle or a can, like there's a different taste yeah. to each of them. Are you yeah. like that with your Diet oh, Pepsi? Yeah, absolutely. What's your- I have to have, um, okay, so I have to have it in a Yeti cup, but the can has to have been refrigerated for at least 24 hours <laughs> and it has to be over ice, not crushed ice because that melts too fast and takes the taste away. Like I'm serious, like it's sad. <laughs> It's so specific, but I get it also because it's like, I don't know, it's different. But I don't do coffee or tea or anything normal. I just am water and Diet Pepsi. Mm. Does Diet Pepsi have caffeine in it? Yeah. Okay. So you're getting a little caffeine. Sometimes I do caffeine free, but most of the time it's with caffeine. Um, What is a stupid piece of advice that someone has given you over the years that you like haven't been able to get out of your head? 
Um, Writing or otherwise. I think the worst advice ever that people would tell me is don't be friends with your kids. Hmm. I just don't believe in that at all. (laughs) I feel like there's a good balance you can have between being friends with your kids, but also letting them know like, I'm your friend, but you also must respect me and listen to me. It's definitely a two-way street, but um, yeah, I'm just don't believe that at all. They're my best friends. No. And I assume like they feel the same. They better, way, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, like we we just have a great relationship. Like they still and it, and it may be more competition for them, but they'll like race every morning to see who could hug me first when I wake up. And Aww. yeah, and like they still hold my hand. Not my oldest; he's almost twenty, so he's you know kind of getting out of that phase. But um, yeah, my I have a one that's fixing to be fifteen and one that's sixteen, and. My 16-year-old especially, he'll just be like, he'll grab my hand, hold my hand in Walmart. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> that gives me hope. Because yeah. I have a four-year-old son and people keep being like, well, enjoy that because he's about to stop doing it. And I'm like, he's four. See, people would tell me that all the time. So I would tell my kids that. I would be like, you know, when you grow up, you're going to think it's not cool to hold my hand like all the uncool kids saying, like, no, I'm never going to be like that. So it is like a matter of reverse psychology and I have to manipulate him yes, exactly. into still holding my hand. Got it. Yeah. Start him now. <laughs> well, he's impressionable. Um, in a game of fuck, Mary, burn down the patriarchy. So instead of killing someone, you're going to go on a patriarchy burning spree with them. Okay. We have Beyonce, Kate Blanchett, and Tessa Thompson. Who's Tessa Thompson? Okay, I wondered. I It took me a little while. She's been in the new Men in Black movie... She's in, I can't think what else, but we can switch her out for someone else. Um, Lucy Liu. Okay. Um, I would say, fuck Lucy Liu. Mary, who's the middle one? Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. And <laughs> I'm not a fan of Beyonce's music. Interesting. Is that terrible? No. We've all uh, got our taste. I feel so bad. I love her. I just, I'm not a fan of her music. I'm also not a fan of Adele's music. Hmm. Um, But yeah, I don't know. But you could burn down the patriarchy with her. Absolutely. It would be fine. I think she 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 would help me. Yeah. She would have a can of gasoline and be ready to go. (laughs) Um, What's a movie that you would watch every day? Anything by Wes Anderson or the Coen brothers. I'm obsessed with um, Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Mm, that is a good one. Yeah. I don't think I like a lot of their stuff, but I do like that one. There are some things that I was like, eh, that was a good one though. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Makes um, up for anything that they did that maybe we don't like. Mm. <laughs> um, who is a person that you professionally admire? Like, who do you look up to? Tiffany DeBartolo. Mm. I think that she um, is an amazing human being. Also, E.L. James, like, I just, the way that she interacts and helps other authors and the way that she interacts with her readers, whether you, you know, a fan of the books or not, her as a human, she's just um, a huge inspiration and has opened the door for a lot of authors in this genre. Hmm. That's good to hear. Like, yeah, I, she's a great human. Yeah. And like, no matter how you feel about her books, that shouldn't matter to her like being an awesome human. Yeah. So, And I feel like, you know, she had the, the best-selling books of the decade. So <laughs> that, you can say whatever you want about her books. Yeah, she doesn't care. <laughs> She's insulated from that. I wonder if she is though. Like she deals with a level of criticism that I think very few authors do. Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. And I think most of it is because of the level of her success. Mm-hmm. Um but she's not insulated from it. I mean, you know, she's so active in the community and with her readers and and you can't be insulated from it. I mean, you just, I was listening to a song from a rapper that my kids liked the other day and they had a line about Fifty Shades of Grey on there. You know, it was on Saturday Night Live. It's like, you can't get away from that no matter yeah. who you are. So That's a really good point. It's a whole yeah. different level from what you were describing earlier about like, yeah. I just stay away from those spaces on social right. media. I can do that. She, she can. Have a it's choice. like in the whole world, but she has such a good attitude about it that it's very, I think, inspiring for other authors to see like, um, you know, if she can take the negative and let it roll off her back and, and be as supportive and love this community as much as she does, then, then there's no reason no one else can either. Yeah. 
Um, what speaking of massively successful franchises, what Hogwarts house would you be in? Never read Harry Potter. That's a, you would not <laughs> believe how often that's the answer, but I feel like we can still put you in a house. I've been and, called a muggle because I never yeah. read Harry Potter. But, um, we call my mom that. She'll do the sorting test and we're like, you can't, you're not allowed. You're a muggle because you won't read it. <laughs> it's not at all a sense of, I don't think I would like them. Obviously, I think I would love them because everyone does, but um, it's a big commitment. Yeah, It's such a big commitment. So I'm waiting until I actually take some time off. My husband and I are taking our first and a trip together in May. So I may take the books with me and just read Mm. on the beach. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird now. Like when I was reading them, they were coming out. Like I, I, in fact, they weren't even out in the US yet. I was visiting my grandparents in the UK and like staying with them by myself for the first time. And I think I was probably in like third grade. And they got me the very first Harry Potter and it wasn't even successful yet. Like they were like, oh, "Oh, some of our friends heard this is is like cool and gave it to me. And I was like, where's the next one? And it wasn't out yet. So every single one- So you've been in it since the beginning. I had to wait for the next book. And now I'm like, what's the right age to let my kids read it? And it's so different because if they, they're going to blow through them all. So if they started at like age seven, they're reading those like way later ones with like much darker themes- at a way younger age than I did because there was like a year between each of them. Right. But you can't really make them wait a year. So yeah, that's I just don't know torture. What the is. <laughs> Maybe you just like start them a little bit later. Yeah. But everyone, I mean, I think we underestimate kids. They can deal with oh, absolutely. Lots of themes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Lord knows I was reading, you know, all kinds of things at such a young age. So a weird. A, so bad about that where everyone's like that's got sex in it like they shouldn't be reading that at that age and you're like weren't you yeah yeah but they shouldn't do it and it's like they're going to find it's it so somewhere. different when you become a parent you know yeah. you're like oh i don't want i don't want them out of their bubble yeah yeah exactly or like i don't want them exposed to that but mm-hmm. if they're curious they're going to go find it yeah. so i think the best you can do is like guide them to something of quality that's not exactly and you know just reading in general is such a good thing that I think that you know if they're reading a little bit above their um, maturity level it's also kind of a bonus that they're reading yeah and not on TikTok what the fuck is TikTok (laughs) I keep I'm so I've never felt so old that people keep talking about is it like a social media platform yeah um it's a little bit like Instagram and Snapchat, but more um, people kind of redoing videos that other people did. And so it's just, you're, you're playing off of other people's videos. It's very interactive. Um, all my kids have it and and I have it. <laughs> I feel like it came out of nowhere. Like I had heard nothing it about really it. I had no idea what it wasn't. Like I got a TikTok account like- years ago before my kids even had phones or social media. And so, and then I never logged back on and now they're all on TikTok and um, I have access to like all of their logins and everything. So I, I keep a close eye on it, but I was like, wait, I think I have a TikTok. And so I looked it up and sure enough, I've had one for years. I think it just now became like a- what- Bigger thing. What makes that happen? Like how it is. I think they upgraded the app because when I first did it, it was it was honestly very cheesy, and you could only like um, lip sync to music videos. And I think a lot of people that's not their thing. But now, I mean, it's really cool, but also at the same time very dangerous if you're just letting your kid on it and and not knowing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I keep seeing it pop up in like my consciousness, and. I'm like, what is this? And of course, I haven't actually taken the time to go look at it because yeah. the internet scares me. But yeah, it's but now it's I know. definitely scary. <laughs> yeah, so sort of Snapchat ish. Sounds like like videos versus pictures. Yeah, but they don't disappear like Snapchat does. So unless you delete them yourself, I think I knew that about Snapchat. I've never been on Snapchat either. I'm terrible at Snapchat. I'm terrible at Twitter. Like my things are Facebook and Instagram. Those are my two go tos. I love them. But um, it's it's definitely like, it's a weird thing nowadays, you know, with kids, because I feel like we're still all learning social media. Yeah. So, you know, how do we teach our kids how to navigate social media when we're all doing it so wrong? It's, it's, 
It's a slippery slope. Something that I think I, that needs to be a part of the curriculum in school, but Huh. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, we should be teaching them how to engage with it in a healthy way. Yeah. But exactly like you said, I don't think we know how to engage we with don't. it. In There's a so many way. adults doing such stupid stuff and saying stupid stuff. When you've got like internet. senators sending dick pics. Exactly. It's, it's like, okay, to be who's like, gonna teach our kids how to run this when we're just making a mess of it? Yeah, it's terrifying. I am. Um, I'm, I'm a weird mom, and my husband. Like we, we just um, we're very lenient in a lot of ways. But when it comes to electronics, we don't allow them in the bedrooms, so they don't mm. sleep with their phones at night. They don't get TVs in their room, but they're allowed to have social media. I know all their logins. Well, to the accounts that I know exist, I'm sure you know they're like teenagers. They might have some that I don't <laughs> know exist. But um, I, don't know, I just I am up all hours of the night and I would see things that their friends were doing at two in the morning on a school night. I'm like, why do you have your phone in your room? Why are you awake? You need to be asleep. And so, yeah, we made it a rule. That's a good rule. I'm taking so many notes, like little <laughs> parenting notes. Where I'm like, oh yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. Hate me. <laughs> yes, no phones in the bedroom. We should probably have the same rule. Like I don't need to be looking at stuff when I wake up in the middle of the night. It I totally know, distracts right? you. Right? Like sometimes I tell myself, like I'm going to put my phone in the kitchen and not keep it by my head. There's so many scary things I've read about just having your phone so present near your body all the time. Like, okay, I need to stop reading internet articles. Mm -hmm. Yep. We're like this experimented on generation. We're like, we don't really know what this is going to do. Yeah. Uh, My college roommate, or one of my college roommates is staying with me right now. And we were talking about that, like how different college would have been if like Tinder had existed. Oh my gosh, yeah. I was like, oh no, that would have just been terrible. So bad. But you know, at the same time, like... um, I always think it's interesting because my husband, he's got dyslexia. He's not a big texter. He misspells things. And as a writer, you know, we can't help but kind of judge people we don't know and they can't spell your right and things. And so I feel like I'm very thankful that we didn't have texting when I met my husband because I probably wouldn't have dated him. I was like, oh, he can't even hold a conversation over text, but he's the most wonderful, brilliant person you know, we've almost been married 20 years. And I'm like, what would my life be if I would have met him over text? Mm. And so I'm kind of thankful <laughs> I didn't have it back then. Um, but it also kind of opens you up to, you know, there's still people out there that aren't very good communicators over social media mm-hmm. and text. And um, these Tinder apps and everything, I kind of feel bad. Like there's a um, population of people that just won't do it, can't do it, and are judged very harshly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my little sister is dyslexic and it's the same yeah. thing. Like she was told all the way through school that she was like dumb or whatever. And it's like, no, she's smart. Yeah, she just yeah. doesn't interact in that medium as right. well as everybody else does. But that happens to be the medium that we teach in. So right. you're kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your tour schedule and thank you letting me sit me. and stare at the Pacific Ocean for a little <laughs> while. <laughs> Palm trees and waves crashing in the background. Um, and the book is Regretting You. And if people want to follow you online, where can they do that? Um, it's Colleen Hoover, my name, pretty much everywhere, yeah. I think. Yeah. All the places. All the places. I was very <laughs> go smart. Go find her on TikTok. Way back when everything, every, t- every time a new social media platform pops up, I'll go grab my name and I'll be like, I might use it someday. Yeah. So it's made um, it easy in this career. Yeah, that's smart. That's probably the advice for new writers. Like, yeah. <laughs> grab your social, social media your handles, handles now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's probably too late for that advice. So, um, well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Jana McGregor for sponsoring today's episode. Be sure to check out her latest Wild Wild Rake or go to her website, janamcgregor.com to find out more about all of her books. 